Well, good morning, David. How are you? <laughs> Happy New Year. Good morning, church. Happy New Year. It's good to see you all here this morning. Happy Epiphany. There's a trivia word for you we're not going to talk about today, but thank you. Epiphany, it is officially Epiphany Sunday um, when you, we celebrate when the Magi arrived with their gifts to the baby Jesus. And um, the announcing that the truth, the light of the world had come, and now Gentiles, you know, kings and, and princes from other regions came and acknowledged the good news. I've also heard it's referred to as Women's Christmas. Have you heard this? Yeah, I'm not making this up, I promise. <laughs> in other uh, areas of, of the world, it's a, a time when women get together with their closest friends and exchange, you know, small gifts, and it's just a time of rest after the long Christmas season, after the 12 days of Christmas. I could get on board with that, you know? Just gather with my closest girlfriends and, you know, read books, like exchange books and beverage. You know, it'd be good. It'd be a good time. Okay, yeah, come on over after church. Women's Christmas. <laughs> it has to end by 4 p.m. because the youth group's also coming over. <laughs> but that'll be great. Well, worship team, thank you so much for leading us this morning. Uh, you know, last, well, first of all, let's go ahead and dismiss our kids. Some of them are already upstairs, but some are here. It's so good to see you guys. We're glad you're here. You're going to do something a little new this morning. I'm very excited to hear what they think. Be excited. So last week we talked about, uh, we had a watch night service in the morning, yes, but talked about uh, kind of looking back on the previous year and reflecting on God's faithfulness. And I loved that last song of our set of God is faithful and God has not failed us. And we got to testify about that last week and celebrate uh, different, different ways that we have seen God move and work in our lives and in our church, and also this idea that now we look ahead with this hope and anticipation for what's to come. And in the tradition of watch night, of, of the new year dawning, it's, it's looking ahead for the freedom and renewal that is coming. And I love that piece about, uh, about looking forward of this renewal that is coming. And so we're starting a new series this morning to, to kick off our new year together called Fresh Start um, as a community of faith, kind of in the new year. And really, one of the most exciting things about a new year is dreaming about what the year could have in store. Imagining it's a new start. You can have new plans, new goals, new hopes. Anyone do resolutions? No? Okay. Well, that's, a, that's okay. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Not that I was going to ask you. Tell me, what are your resolutions? Okay, we have one in the back. It's day seven. Are they still going strong? I read a statistic recently that 94% of us fail our resolutions within the first couple of months. So there's, there's something there too. <laughs> yeah. It's not all bad to have these plans, these hopes, these resolutions, uh, you know, to, to, to step into healthier habits in the new year. These are not all bad things. But really in a new year, I think there is an opportunity to pause and ask ourselves, what are my priorities? What do I want to focus on in the new year? What do I want to focus on? And so as a community of faith, called to follow Jesus in his life and ways and teachings. I want us to be focusing on the life that Jesus invites us into. 
And so to kind of frame this uh, first day of our new series, I'm going to read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Mark chapter 8. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. I love that part. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we respond, thanks be to God. There's a lot here. You might be familiar with this exchange between Jesus and Peter. It's recorded in other gospel accounts. But it's really this moment in the Gospel of Mark where they're traveling and, and Jesus, you know, they're in this kind of intense apprenticeship, the disciples with Jesus, and he sort of pauses here to do a little check-in with his disciples. It's an intense apprenticeship, and it's about to get even more intense as they head for Jerusalem. So while they're still up north in Caesarea Philippi, before they turn south to head toward Jerusalem, it's like he gives them a little pop quiz halfway through his teachings. Here's a little pop quiz. Who do people say that I am? The first question's easy. They can say what other people have said, or the prophets, or tradition, or, you know, word on the street. The second question is a bit more direct. But who do you say that I am? And of course, we know that Peter has the right answer. And in other gospel accounts, this is when Jesus says, Yes, Peter, and on this I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But here it's a little different. Here Peter has the right answer, but he still doesn't seem to understand what this will entail. And when Jesus begins to explain very plainly, I don't remember scripture, well, that stuck out to me this time. <laughs> when he very plainly says, I, he continues on teaching that this being the Christ will will mean there's going to be rejection and, and suffering and death coming. Peter's like, whoa. <laughs> I imagine him being sort of like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's not how it's supposed to go. You're supposed to free us from oppressors. You're supposed to purify the people and restore Israel's independence and glory. You're supposed to defeat the Romans, not be killed by them. 
the rebuke is strong that Jesus has. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. There are a lot of people that have different theories about what Jesus means right here when he looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Maybe this is recalling the time that Jesus was tempted in the desert by the tempter, by the evil one, and he's recognizing uh, own temptation within his own spirit. When he's telling his friends about what's about to happen, of what's coming, you can imagine Jesus saying, ooh, maybe it's a moment where he's tempted to say, maybe this cup can pass for me. And recognizing that temptation within his own spirit, he, he rebukes the enemy and then says to his friend, you've got your mind set on the wrong things. You're thinking about your own victory or your own plans or your own expectations, and I have come to do a new thing. How many times do we miss maybe what God is up to because it's not what we expect? And so we miss it because it's not what we wanted. It's not what makes us win. (laughs) I love these words from commentator Elizabeth Johnson who says this, we would like a savior who is a winner and one who makes us winners. But Jesus insists on identifying with the lowliest of losers. He will allow himself to be judged and condemned as a blasphemer by Jewish religious leaders. He will allow himself to be mocked, tortured, and executed as a criminal by the Romans. And that's not all. Jesus actually expects his disciples to follow him on this same path that he is choosing for our sake. Jesus actually expects his disciples to follow him on this path of suffering, maybe even to the point of death. If you want to become my followers, he said, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You know, Jesus has already invited many of the disciples. In Mark chapter 3, he's already kind of named his little apostles, right? He's already given them the invitation of come, follow me. But this is the first time in the gospel of Mark that he actually describes what that life will look like. And he says crowds gathered around and he offered the invitation for everyone who could hear. If anyone should follow me, If anybody should become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross. This life is going to look like two things. It's going to look like self-denial, and it's going to look like cross-bearing. And we know in in this culture, in this time, in, in the Roman times, that cross was a symbol for public humiliation and shame and torture and death. I don't know about you, but that's sort of a, a... I don't imagine a a long line forming at this point. We get lots of invitations in life for all kinds of things, (laughs) groups and parties (laughs) and things to do. This is the first time Jesus describes what it will look like to follow him. Self-denial and cross-bearing, suffering. But what does, really, what does Jesus really mean right here by, by suffering? Well, I think it's important. I think it's important that we name this right here. He's not talking about suffering. That's simply just part of living in a broken world. 
Suffering might come from anything from serious illness to natural disasters to your annoying neighbor next door. We experience a lot of suffering in this life because we live in a broken world. Not necessarily the type of suffering Jesus is talking about here. He also doesn't mean seeking or embracing suffering or abuse for its own sake, like withstanding different forms of abuse because we think that suffering itself is, is redemptive or, or a mark of virtue somehow. You might hear people say, this is my cross to bear. And sometimes we apply that to lots of things that don't actually mean what Jesus is talking about here. Like, this is just my lot in life, maybe, or this is just what I have to deal with right now, or this is just maybe not the type of suffering that Jesus is talking about here. And he's also not, not telling us to seek out suffering for martyrdom, like seek it out to, to gain this sort of level of martyrdom. Jesus did not seek out suffering. But he saw that it would be an inevitable outcome of living and announcing his kingdom up against the powers and principalities of the world. It's going to ruffle some feathers. And that could be a potential outcome. Not suffering simply from living in a broken world. It's not suffering for its own sake. We see Jesus alleviate suffering, unnecessary suffering and oppression every chance he gets from healing, from folks who've been disconnected from community. Up until this point in Mark chapter 8, he's healed a lot of people. He has ended unnecessary suffering. He's not talking about suffering for suffering's own sake or for martyrdom to seek it out. He's simply speaking of suffering for the sake of the gospel, losing our lives for his sake, being meaning being willing to suffer the consequences of following Jesus. Did your parents ever tell you to be careful who your friends are? Because you might have some consequences by being associated with so-and-so. Well, there's consequences with being associated with Jesus. And by choosing to live a life according to his teaching and his way. Suffering for his sake, Jesus says, for the sake of the gospel that he comes to announce. Taking up our cross means being willing to suffer the consequences of following Jesus faithfully. And what are some of these consequences? We might know because we've experienced them. It means putting Jesus's priorities and purposes ahead of our own comfort and security. It means being willing to seek God's will over our own will and plans and dreams and control. It means being willing to lose our lives by spending them for the sake of others. And what do we have with our life? We have our time, we have our presence, we have our gifts, we have our acts of service. So it's using that time and those resources and energy so that others might experience God's love made known in Jesus Christ. It's no longer thinking about just our own plans and success and goals, but also about the neighbor. Scripture says about considering his needs or her needs of the neighbor 
as good as, as if, if, or maybe even better than our own, considering the needs of others. It's living less self-oriented, self-focused, self-concerned, and more others-oriented. We know these things, we talk about these things, we live out these things, and yet, at the beginning of a new year, it's a good point to stop and assess our priorities. Who are we following? What are we focusing on? What, if anything, are we willing to give up our life for? I've seen you live this out over the past year. We see it lived out on Friday night when we go to Grace Kids and it's a community of people willing to give up their time and their resources and their energy on a Friday night for a few hours to be present for kids who need to know that they are loved, that they are awesome, and they are not alone. That's what Pastor Corey says to those kids every Friday night. You are loved, you are awesome, and you are not alone. And when they look up and they see all these adults who they know and maybe they don't and a church who showed up with with food, (laughs) with with, with their presence. You know, JCPS doesn't start back until tomorrow in the past couple of weeks that they've met for Grace Kids. He said the kids come and they're hungry. Some of them haven't eaten all day until they come to Grace Kids for dinner. That's what it looks like to lose your life for the sake of the gospel and the sake of another. Being more others-oriented, not so self-concerned. The matter of priorities. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? At the beginning of a new year, the world clamors for us to set big goals to make big plans, to become a better you. And you can do that through just a little bit of self-improvement and grit and discipline. You have the power to become the best you yet. I'm actually quite proud that when I asked that question at the beginning, if anyone had resolutions, y'all were like, nah. (laughs) I'm like, okay, great, yeah. (laughs) Because we're just here to receive the grace of Jesus Christ for the courage to go on to every day answer the call to pick up our cross and suffer for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom and his call. I'm so proud, y'all. You're like, we're not giving in to any of that. Live the best you yet. This is it. <laughs> That's it. We're making it. We're making it. We're getting, we're getting better. Here by the grace of God, go I. Here by the grace of God, go I. Am I becoming Am I growing into grace and into holiness only by the power of Jesus, not by any new fitness plan that I'm going to follow and fail on day three? Because that's real. It's an opportunity for us, though, still to just pause and say, If it's not resolutions, there may be some plans or some goals. And again, that's not all bad. But how do these plans line up with the life that God is inviting you into this year? What is your focus for the year ahead? And your spiritual focus. 
What focus do you have in your spiritual life? Maybe you could simply answer, where do I want to grow? Where do I want to grow closer to God and love of God and love of neighbor? What do I want to learn? Maybe start answering these questions for your spiritual life. I know some people have had success, if you could call it that, by focusing themselves in a new year on a certain word, like intentionality or health. I don't know, fill in the blank. You can pick a word and have that focus yourself for the coming year, not just for your own goals and plans, you hear me, but for the spiritual life that God invites us into And I can tell you that over the past couple of weeks, the the few words that have been sort of rolling over in my heart uh, for us as a community are a simple kind of three focus words, pray, invite, and serve. Not sure what that's going to look like, but we're starting with prayer to focus ourselves. If we're expecting God to move and we're ready and we're excited, we want to be a people focusing on prayer, focusing on invitation, and focusing on service. And so some of you last week heard uh, this invitation for our first kind of book study of the new year. It's less of a book study and more of a prayer experiment. I've been doing this dynamite prayer, and I've invited many of you uh, alongside to do this. It's open to everybody. It's a 28-day experiment of prayer, a different kind of way to pray, You reflect on a passage of scripture each day. There's a phrase that they give you. You can also write your own breakthrough prayer. If you've ever done breath prayers, where it's just kind of like one, two, or three word phrases that kind of focus you, it's similar to that. That's Rachel talking in my experience. Uh, I'm doing this too. Dynamite prayer, 28-day experiment that we might be open to the new possibilities that God has in store for us. We might have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to discern as a community. I do not think we can underestimate the power of a church community praying together. So if you started it last week, great. If you're just starting it today, great. It's okay. It's 28 days consecutive in a row. Or if you miss a day, that's okay. Don't try to do two in one day. Just begin again. Just start again and keep praying. And I want to invite you, if you're interested, to two different dates. It's kind of the same session, two different times, either January 30th or February 1st. Middletown has offered us a room in their lower level, kind of over under their sanctuary, so we can enter in the front doors over there and go downstairs to the journey classroom, and I'll help navigate you down there. At these two times, an hour at lunch or an hour on Tuesday evening, we can just talk about what is God teaching us right now about prayer? What have we experienced? How are we enjoying this type of breakthrough prayer? And is there anything that we hear God calling us to do as an individual or as a church? I'd love to just bring us together a couple times to talk about that. You don't have to attend this to do this, okay? (laughs) Would love for everybody to experiment with this type of prayer, whether you can attend or not. Every day, Jesus invites us to begin again, a fresh start, fueled by his grace and power. And so today, the first Sunday of a new year, we have an opportunity to do that through a covenant renewal. 
And for those of you that have been around Revolution before, we, we tend to do this kind of near the end of a year and the beginning of a new year. Covenant is kind of a big churchy word. But it really just means the promises that we are making, our intention to follow Jesus with our whole lives, this promise that we are making to God, this covenant that we make, that this is who I am and this is my focus. Living intentionally for Christ, becoming more like Christ, loving him and serving him and loving our neighbors as ourselves. So I'm going to invite you to, to pray through some liturgy with me. Um, this is, comes from both the British Methodist Church, which I thought was pretty cool, uh, and also our own book of worship. But this is shared by the wider Methodist family and faith, generations of people that have prayed these words, that have prayed these words of confession, that have, that have made uh, a similar covenant, renewed by Jesus Christ as our Lord, so that in him all people may be set free from sin and its power and united in love and obedience. It might feel a little long. It might feel a little, I used uh, more recent English than maybe some versions. But I just encourage you to kind of pause, take some deep breaths, uh, prepare yourself um, to be serious about these words. To let them sort of ruminate and, and sit with you as we come to confess our sins first and then pray a covenant prayer together. So let's pray. Your words will be in yellow. Hopefully that'll be clear. We come and meet today as generations have met before us to renew the covenant which bound them and binds us to God. Let us then seek forgiveness for the sin by which we have denied God's claim upon us. And let us now pray together. God of mercy, hear us as we confess our sins for the sin that has made us slow to learn from Christ, reluctant to follow him, and afraid to bear the cross. For the sin that has caused the poverty of our worship, the formality and selfishness of our prayers our neglect of fellowship and the means of grace, and our hesitating witness for Christ. For the sin that has led us to misuse our gifts, evade our responsibilities, and fail to be good stewards of your creation. And for the sin that has made us unwilling to overcome evil with good, tolerant of injustice, quick to condemn, and selfish in sharing your love with others, we join together. Lord, have mercy on me in your constant love. In the fullness of your mercy, blot out my offenses, wash away all my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Give me the joy of your help again and strengthen me with a willing spirit. Beloved, commit yourselves to Christ as his servants. Give yourself to him that you may belong to him. Christ has many services to be done. Some 
are easy and honorable. Others are more difficult and disgraceful. Some are suitable to our inclinations and interests. Others are contrary to both. And some we may please Christ and please ourselves. But then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. It is necessary, therefore, that we consider what it means to be a servant of Christ. Therefore, let us go to Christ and pray together. Let me be your servant under your command. I will no longer be my own. I will give up myself to your will in all things. Be satisfied that Christ shall give you your place and work. Lord, make me what you will. I put myself fully into your hands. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and with a willing heart give it all to your pleasure and disposal. Christ is the source of all salvation to all people and calls us to be his servants. Christ will have no servants except by consent. We confirm this by a holy covenant. To make this covenant a reality in your life, listen to these admonitions. First, set apart some time, more than once, to be spent alone before the Lord and seeking earnestly God's special assistance and gracious acceptance of you and carefully thinking through all the conditions of the covenant and searching your hearts whether you have already freely given your life to Christ. Consider where you have fallen short. Consider the laws of Christ, how holy they are, and whether you, after having carefully considered them, are willing to choose them all. Be sure you are clear in these matters that your hearts may be open before God. Second, be serious and in spirit of holy awe and reverence. Third, claim God's covenant. Rely upon God's promise to provide grace and strength so you can keep your promise. Trust not your own strength and power. Fourth, resolve to be faithful. You have given to the Lord your hearts. You have opened your mouths to the Lord and you have dedicated yourself to God. With God's power, never go back. And last, be then prepared to renew your covenant with the Lord. Open your hearts to the Lord as we pray now together. O righteous God, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, see me as I open my heart before you, before all heaven and earth. I here acknowledge you as my Lord and God. I take you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for my portion, and vow to give up myself, body, and soul as your servant, to serve you in holiness and my righteousness all the days of my life. God has given the Lord Jesus Christ to reconcile us to God. I do here on bended knees accept Christ as the new and living way and sincerely join myself in a covenant with him. O blessed Jesus, I come to you entirely in need of your grace. I renounce my own worthiness and vow that you are the Lord, my righteousness. I renounce my own wisdom and take you to be my guide. I renounce my own selfish will and take your will as my law. Christ has told us that his way is not always easy. 
I do here willingly put my neck under your yoke to carry your burden. Your laws are holy, just, and good. I therefore take them as the rule for my words, thoughts, and actions, promising that I will strive to order my whole life according to your direction. The Almighty God searches and knows our hearts. O God, you know that I make this covenant with you today without reservation. If any falsehood should be in it, guide me and help me to set it right. Almighty God, the Lord omnipotent, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have now become my covenant friend. And I, through your infinite grace, have become your covenant servant. So be it. And let the covenant I have made on earth be ratified in heaven.